Are you a current or future physician assistant wanting to learn more about finances? Then join me on this journey to become a PA the FI way. Hi, my name is Kat and I'm a practicing certified physician assistant who will be your host. It took me five years after I started practicing medicine as a PA to thoroughly dive into my personal finances after I discovered the concept of financial independence. I want to use what I have learned to help you avoid some of the financial mistakes that I have made while sharing some of the financial wins that I have had along the way. Join me as we discuss financial strategies to guide you to becoming a physician assistant on the way to financial independence. Welcome back, everyone, to the PA the FI Way podcast. I'm your host, Kat, and we have a very special guest on the show for today's episode. We have Gabby joining us, and many of you may know her from Instagram. She's over there at It's Gabby the PA, and she's also a podcast host, which is really fun. So welcome to the show, Gabby. Thank you, Kat, for having me. I'm so excited for this episode, and I can't wait to talk more with you. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Thanks again for agreeing to be on the show. And let's start by having you introduce yourself a little bit more to the listeners if they're not very familiar with you. Sure. My name is Gabriela DeVita. I like to go by Gabby. I am a physician assistant currently working in urgent care, primary care, and in maternal fetal medicine. Um, But I do have a background also as a registered dietitian in diabetes during pregnancy and certified diabetes educator. My primary language is Spanish. I'm actually from Venezuela, but I've been in the U.S. for many years now. And I am a new mom to a little nine-month-old baby girl, and that's probably my favorite title. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. You wear very many hats, but it sounds like that that one's your favorite. Yes, for sure. Super cool. So let's go back before PA school with your story. When you were working in diabetes education, do you mind sharing your experience with that? What interested you in that and how you got into that? Yeah, absolutely. So that's, I love that because it's um, what eventually took me to this path of becoming a PA. And so when I was an undergrad, I wanted to be a registered dietitian. That was my only focus. I didn't know anything about the PA profession. And I just loved the involvement the dietitians had with not only weight management and health promotion, disease prevention, but also in the clinical aspect. Dietitians are in the hospital in pretty much every floor. They can have pretty involved roles with Um, nutrition therapy for patients on tube feedings and the ICU, things like that. And then obviously in diabetes, huge, huge role and um, nephrology. So that variety of, um, you know, that lateral mobility that we use that term MPA, it also applied to um, the dietetics field. And so that was my initial interest. And I didn't really like the medicine um, aspect. So that's why back then I never considered becoming a physician or anything like that because I didn't like procedures or blood or anything that, you know, in in that aspect. But so when I graduated uh, my bachelor's degree, I had an opportunity to join this team, which was pretty rare because typically you need experience for this kind of 
job where it was diabetes education for pregnant women. So it was pretty narrowed down, pretty specific. And it sounded amazing. I started working there. um, And at first I was just doing diabetes education. So teaching gestational diabetes, type one and type two came later as I gained more experience. And after a couple years working there, I became a certified diabetes educator. And with that, I gained more privileges with the physician I was working with. And I was able to manage insulin recommendations and so blood sugars for the patients and make recommendations for when to start insulin or how to adjust their doses. So I would say that was a very pivotal moment um, for me because I was enjoying what I was doing as a dietitian. I really liked that. Like I said, I had a lot of privileges. Many dietitians, diabetes educators don't do any medication management. But with that came a little bit of feeling trapped or feeling like my scope was kind of narrow. And I just liked what I was doing so much that I was like, okay, I need to find a way to do something more. And I'm probably getting ahead of myself here, but the reason, I I guess I kind of explained that already, how I started in dietetics, that was just my initial interest. And then in this job, I, instead of pursuing different, you know, different um, fields within dietetics, I wanted to expand my scope of practice. And then that's what took me later into PA. Sure, that's wonderful. I used to work in family medicine and we had diabetic educators that would help support us and they were invaluable. You know, sometimes you're diagnosing diabetes and you're also managing multiple health problems, also trying to do a physical and you just feel like you have so limited time when you're working in family medicine and even just the education piece. And I know our patients would be able to do diabetes education in the sense of classes with other diabetic Mm -hmm. patients. And I feel and hope that many of them felt like that there was a little bit more support and sense of community and understand that they weren't going through it alone and definitely appreciated the support that those diabetic educators really had in help taking more things off of our plate, but yet being able to support the patient so much better. So it was an amazing role that they had. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's a, definitely a multidisciplinary team that will eventually help that patient get healthy and stay healthy. And as a diabetes educator, your main profession can be dietitian, nurse, physician, PA, nurse practitioner. There's a few other ways as well. But having that person in your team to help with that patient It's amazing. I mean, right now that I'm in primary care and previously when I was in family medicine, I naturally took all the patients with diabetes and I would manage them because I have all of this background, but it was still not enough time. So I would actually bring my patients back pretty frequently. So like maybe, you know, an endocrinologist office or primary care might have them come back every three to six months. I see them at first when they're first diagnosed or first seeing me, I'll bring them back every like two weeks. And then if we get you in good control, then every month and then every three months, every six or something. But it's because of that. It's because there is not enough time as a primary care provider to address their diabetes plus all the other comorbidities that they usually have. You, you rarely see diabetes as the only condition they have. Totally. Yeah. And let's go back a little bit 
further, what prompted you to want to get in the field of dietetics as well as specifically diabetes way back in the day? Yeah, so um, back, back in the day, it was actually in high school. And I just knew I wanted to do something related to health. Um, I was thinking about uh, dentistry, dietetics, and medical school. Medical school, I uh, eliminated that from my options pretty quickly, mainly, not only because I didn't necessarily like the you know, surgeries, procedures, things like that, but this is when I was back home in Venezuela, and I spoke with a couple of residents and their stories, their experience during residency were just terrifying. Um, you usually have to go to very low income communities to do your um, like your residencies. And, you know, you're not safe. Honestly, you really aren't. Um, the one thing that did it for me was this uh, resident. She told me how she was um, covering the night shift at a very low income community, kind of dangerous area in our city. And a gang came into the ER and they were basically pointing a gun at her saying, mm -hmm. you need to fix him because if not, you're going to go down with him too. Yeah. I was like, I do not need to put myself through that. Um, that yeah. is just very sad. And that was the situation back home. Um, but at the same time, it's just what kind of let me away from medicine altogether. And then dentistry, I was actually pretty lucky to have student exchange year here in the U.S. So after I graduated high school, I came, I actually lived in Utah with a host family. And in that year, I did an internship. Um, and because I wanted, or I was thinking about dentistry, I that's what I chose for my, my rotation. And I did one with a general dentist and then one with an endodontist. And I hated it. <laughs> I absolutely hated it. Sure. I came back home and I was like, I cannot do this. I hate looking at people's mouths. I thought that I would like it because I've had orthodontics my entire life. I like, you know, to have a nice smile. And I thought that I would like helping people achieve that too. But just the process of it. Oh my gosh. I was like, I cannot do this do this for the rest of my life. So then my third option was dietetics. And I just remember um, I had a high school teacher who was a dietitian, and she spoke very highly of the profession. She was like, you know, you have great involvement with the patient. And if you like the clinical aspect, you're going to love it because you go and see the patients. Your input is very valuable, but that's it. And if you like the weight management, you can also have your private practice. Plus, if you are interested in having a family in the future, it's a very nice um, like work-life balance and it sure. will allow you to be home a lot with your kids. So I was like, okay, done. That's it. And I enrolled. I, you know, my first semester, we had like an intro to dietetics class and we had anatomy class with a physician, but he loved dietitians in his team. So those two classes were what kind of grabbed me fully into the profession. And then from there, I never looked back. So, yeah. Yeah, that's great. I love how your story highlights a few great points for any pre-PAs listening. If you aren't exactly sure what area to go into, maybe prior to your training before becoming a PA, or if you're not sure about PA or other areas of medicine, 
try to talk to people who are in those professions or like Gabby did, definitely try to shadow because shadowing can certainly provide some invaluable experience too. Yeah, yeah, totally. Oh, and then you also asked what led me into diabetes. And I really didn't know that that's what I wanted to do. Um, Actually, throughout undergrad in Venezuela, my one of my aunts got um, really sick from kidney disease, not related to diabetes. She had had kidney problems through her entire life, but eventually that got really bad. Um, she actually had a transplant done when she was in her 20s, wow. and that one, she then only had one kidney, and that one kidney lasted her for like 50 years. I mean, something crazy. Wow. It Like, if you look at all the statistics, one kidney won't last you that long. Um, that's transplanted. And for her, it was a very long time. But so watching her go through her disease and um, dialysis and the role of the dietitian and how it comes down to like, you know, potassium and calcium and sodium balance and the diet. And that just was very captivating to me and like the science behind that. And how the dietitian was really, you know, the key person for all of that. Um, that's what I wanted to do. But um, again, that kind of job usually requires some experience. So I was applying to different positions. And Davida is one of the companies that does dialysis around the States. Because then I transfer all, all of this. You know, I was in Venezuela. And then parenthesis, in 2011, I moved to the States. And then I continued my undergrad here but still focus on dietetics. And when I was applying to that, to that position, I could never find something that was entry level or that at least I would get an interview. But this one job with diabetes, I applied because, I mean, it's it was still a pretty cool job. And even though they required experience, they did give me a chance to interview. And then the rest was history, which was actually a pretty cool story. I can tell you that later, but I don't want to ramble too much. (laughs) No, it's great. So you mentioned how you weren't really interested in medicine. You didn't like procedures. You didn't like blood. Maybe you didn't like guts as well. How did you Mm -hmm. become a PA then? And what brought you to the PA profession? How did you manage during some of those rotations where you did have to have some procedures and blood? You know, I feel like a lot of it is uh, your level of maturity. I mean, this I was you know, 17 or so, trying to choose a career. And at that point, I was like, I am not dealing with any of that. I don't find it cool at all. So no. Even when I had anatomy in my first semester, and we went to the cadaver lab, I hated it because it smelled so strongly. And it was a little bit cool. But it was like, okay, this is just one class, you know, one semester done, I don't have to see this again. But when I was in my diabetes and pregnancy job and I started to feel really narrowed in my scope of practice, like patients would ask me not only about their diabetes, but then they would go ahead and ask about their high blood pressure or, um, you know, their kidney problems. And I always just had to refer them back to their provider. That's when I was like, I need to do something else. At the same time, uh, the dietetics committee, like credentialing body was starting to consider requiring a master's level uh, degree to be able to sit for the RD exam, the registered dietitian exam. And I didn't have that. So I was like, I'm still a pretty new, you know, grad. 
And if other dietitians are going to be coming with a master's program or master's degree, I need to level up my game too. So I can, you know, be um, at the same pay level and that kind of stuff. But I didn't think that doing a master's in dietetics or a master's in maybe social work would help me get what I wanted clinically. So I, a, a dietitian I worked with, she mentioned, she's like, you should look into PA. I think you would be a great PA diabetes educator. I'm like, oh, what is that? Um, and we had a PA working in our clinic at that point. And so I started talking to her, kind of tell me about your profession. Um, because to me, she was kind of like a resident in the clinic. Um, because I guess that's how things worked, you know, at, at the clinic for her as a PA. But I was just like, okay, she doesn't, I don't understand her profession. So I started talking to her and then I started shadowing. I shadowed a, a PA in the emergency room, a PA in urgent care. I talked with a cardiology PA, couldn't shadow her, but kind of sat down for coffee and, you know, asked her all the questions. And it, sounded pretty attractive as a career kind of the same thing where you have the lateral mobility which I liked as a dietitian I would have that as a PA I liked the return on investment since this is also the topic of your podcast is I would number one the finances were very important too because I would double up my income from being a dietitian at that point this is like 2017 or so and I was making probably, I think, around $50,000 a year working full-time in this field after, like, two years of working or three. And as a PA, you know, based on the statistics, I knew I would be making around 1000 you know, depending on the field or so. But around 1000 so I would double up my income. And then if I had a baby, if I ever wanted to go part-time, I would be making the same I was as a dietitian but now working part-time. Sure. And that, so that alone was pretty interesting. And then the return on investment was, what I meant by that was, I will put in two years where I don't have to work or I can't work and I won't be making any money. But then when I graduate by doubling my income as a PA, then I would be able to pay my loans in a couple of years or so. And then, you know, I'll be making pretty good money from then on. So the finances were um, looking good and then the, the wide scope of practice of a PA but what you said is how did how was I able to turn my kind of fear or just dislike for blood and guts and then do PA school and actually that was one of my worries I was like how am I going to get through surgery rotation and God knows yeah. I mean, I was very lucky because I actually didn't have a surgery rotation because of COVID. Oh, which is interesting. Crazy. Sure. So yeah, when when COVID happened, um, I was doing my elective rotation, which was interventional radiology. It was cool. still a little bit, you know, procedure, but it wasn't anything like surgery. But, you know, I was just in my mind, like, I... I can get through this. It's just, you know, one rotation or two, depending on what the ER might be like one of those two, but I was just pretty set in my mind that it doesn't matter. I can do it for the time that school is going to be. And then I will specialize into whatever field I like. 
And I actually talked with my supervising physician at that point, and he was the head of the maternal fetal medicine department, but he also did, you know, C-sections, obviously. So he was just like, he was very on board and very supportive of me going to PA school. And he's just like, you know, why don't you come see a couple C-sections and let's see if at least you don't pass out. (laughs) I was like, okay, thank you for that. I appreciate the opportunity. So I did. And it was fine. I was like, I don't mind this as much as I thought I would. And then in PA school, I ended up liking procedures, minor procedures, at least like, you know, things that you would do in the urgent care, suturing, abscesses and things like that. I love them. I don't mind them at all. And my rotation in interventional radiology was a pretty cool one yeah. that ended up counting as my surgery rotation. And now I actually have that as like in my list of specialties where I eventually want to get into. Super cool. (laughs) Yeah, IR is one of those specialties that I had no clue about even back in PA school. And it's like, man, that one sounds so interesting. I wish I would have known about it to try to have gotten an elective in it. Yeah. Yeah. And the only reason I did was because one of our professors uh, brought it up. I had no idea what it was. And she was like, you guys should look into it. You know, we only have a few spots, but whoever requests her. And I was like, hmm. looked up a few videos. I found just very few, you know, videos about it. But I was like, this sounds pretty cool. Let's just, let's just give it a try. And it worked out and I loved it. Awesome. Very cool. And you touched a little bit on the importance of the return on investment for your master's degree in when you were studying to become a PA. So you mentioned that you did have some student loans. Do you mind sharing how did it feel with the amount of student loans you had and what was your game plan to try to start paying those back? Yeah, absolutely. So what I was very lucky, I actually didn't have, my husband and I, we didn't have any student loans from undergrad. Um, So when we started our kind of adult life together and we got married, we were debt-free in that sense. And we bought a house that we remodeled. And then when I decided to go to PA school, we both were about an hour away from, like that. our commute would be an hour away each way. And we were like, this doesn't make sense. Um, We've remodeled our entire house. We can make money. At that time, the market was, you know, pretty good. Or like, if we sell the house, We'll have some money to save and to pay a little bit for PA school. And then when we're done then and I find a, a job, then we can buy a house kind of, you know, in the area where I'll be working. Sure. And so our plan was to rent for the two years of PA school and then buy a house. When, you know, when we did the math, it was basically what I mentioned before. It's okay. I'm making 50 right now. I can make a hundred when I graduate. PA school is going to be about 100. So then with two years of, you know, even like one year, if we continue to live in one income after PA school, I could pay that if I just put everything into it, I'll pay it off in one year. But let's be a little bit more modest and let's say two to three years that I'll pay it off. Um, So that was the plan. Then in PA school, we actually found out that we hated renting. And we just loved remodeling houses so much. So we started to look at houses in the middle of PA school. We're like, let's just maybe try to 
get a really tiny house and we can rent that house and then use it for us in the meantime until we like find our big house that we want to live in. Um, so we started looking at houses and none of the houses in the price range that we were looking at to rent eventually were, we just didn't like them. And then we're like, you know what, let's just put a little bit more money in. We'll live in that house while we remodel it and then we can rent it and, you know, all of that. Well, nothing happened that way. Sure. <laughs> we eventually bought a house in uh, in the middle of, yeah, in the middle of PA school. We bought the house. We moved in. We remodeled it. But we're still living. This is the house where I am right now, three oh, years later. Cool. <laughs> yeah. We've put in some money in the house, but as a um, as an investment, you could say we're still pretty good at not going over what we could sell the house for and make money on it because um, that's what we did for a previous one. We were able to make money off that house. Um, I want to say like actually close to 100000 we were able to nice. make on that house. And then that's why we were able to put um, like thirty for PA school. So my student loans turn out to be only 70000 which is a little bit less than the national average, I would say. Yeah. Um, yeah, a little bit, quite a bit less. And with that, then came COVID and the pause on the student loans. So my plan was to start paying my loans aggressively on day one of my job. But then we had the pause. So we kind of reassessed where we were at and we were like, it doesn't make sense to pay this when we have no interest, yeah. when you can put the money elsewhere that will give you some return. Sure. So that's what we did. <laughs> so I still haven't started paying my loans because we were putting money in the um, in the house. And every time, you know, they come and say like, oh, we moved the pause to, you know, October or December or whatever. So we're like, okay, we'll just keep waiting. When they say you actually have to pay, then we'll, you know, pay our plan well, it's still the same though. As soon as we start paying, um, I will want to pay it aggressively. And right now, every little bit of money, ex like ex extra money that we get, I do put it into my loans. Because if I get, you know, like I, I work with my PA resource and I edit essays with them. Sure. So every bit of money I get from that, I'll put it in. Because it's like, not necessarily passive income, but it's just extra income. So that can help, you know, in the background. Yeah, super cool. Well, I can definitely commiserate with you a little bit, although it sounds like you may have liked it. Being in a live and flip, my husband has been working yeah. on remodeling our whole house for about six years now. And part of that, it's like, literally, there's not an inch of space that he's not covered. And <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> yes. And once our house is completely done, then we're having a serious discussion about potentially selling. And we were going to be here for many more years. And now it's kind of turning into this live and flip situation. But there were yeah. some challenges where, you know, I would come home from work and then the ceiling would be wide open and <laughs> dust all over sheetrock dust or the insulation would be all over. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, this is a little stressful. Do you feel like that you had some of those stressors with some of your live-in flips or do you feel like that you just enjoyed the whole process for both of them? Oh my gosh. We, we've we lived in this house 
at a time when like everything was just torn apart. It was crazy. We actually had to live at my sister-in-law for a little bit, like for a month or so, because we didn't have a bathroom. Sure. So that was kind of important, but kind of we like my husband actually, yeah, exactly. Just a little bit. My husband actually got asthma from working in this house because this is a 19, 1926 is when this house was built and we remodel every single space from like inside to the outside. But part of that was, you know, tearing down walls and making space bigger. And in that process, honestly, I was hoping to find like, you know, gold or something like that. Cause <laughs> right. like it was the 1920s. I was just hoping to find something that would make me a millionaire. Like you read on, you know, there you <laughs> the go. newspaper. We didn't find any of that. We just found a lot of dust. Sure. And he, yeah, he really got asthma from all of that. So that was, you know, that was stressful. But we knew that we were working on getting the house exactly how we wanted it. We are pretty picky in like the finishes of the house and how we want the spaces to be. So with this house, we definitely did a lot more than the previous one. I would say before it was more cosmetic. This time it was more like structural and everything. But it was like, okay, we want to be in this house for quite a few years because our mortgage here, which is another important aspect of our finances, it's pretty, pretty low. It's even lower than renting. Awesome. And I think that, you know, is what is allowing us to invest the money in here and in other areas too. And we just wanted to have the house exactly like we wanted. Like we knew even if we bought another house at the same price that was maybe, you know, renovated or upgraded or something, we would still want to change something. So we kind of just, you know, manage it all that way. Just with thinking we're getting this done the way we want. Sure. Totally. Yeah. That, that's great. It takes time and some patience and some planning and some saving and all of that, but it, it can be a fun adventure. And as long as you're wise about it and adding, you know, equity and value back in, it can be a good choice. But at the same time, you know, if you were having student loans with a high interest, you probably would want to hold off on the remodeling and things like that at that point. But your guys are in a situation where exactly. it made sense for you in, in your life. Yeah, totally. If we if we hadn't had the student loan pause, we probably wouldn't have done all that we've done in the house right now. And now we're also thinking about moving because <laughs> now we have a baby. Sure. And even though the house, you know, it still fits all of us. My mom also lives with lives with us now. Um, but we're like, okay, we want to, you know, move into a little bit bigger house. And so now we're kind of like thinking about starting all over again. But I will say with a baby, we're not probably not going to be doing as many remodels as we've done in the past. Sure. Yeah, let's talk about your adorable baby girl. How old is she now? And how did having her change your life and your outlook with practicing as a PA? Yeah, I love that question. Oh my gosh, she is the most beautiful baby I've ever <laughs> seen, obviously. 
and she is just a joy. She's such a happy baby. Um, she's nine months now, and she sleeps through the night now. <laughs> so that's like one of the biggest things for me because it can be really grueling at first um, when you're, you know, nursing and you have a newborn. Even if you're not nursing, I mean, you are up with them every couple of hours, and I just could not see the time when she would sleep through the night sure. and that time will come you guys so <laughs> just hang in there um but having her definitely change how you know at least my schedule and my availability as a as a PA I was working full time Monday through Friday still was a pretty good schedule like 9 to 5 I didn't have any calls or weekends and this was in family medicine but when she came, and I've mentioned this in my podcast too, The Making of a Physician Assistant, um, I have an episode about becoming a mom. Actually, it's coming up. I haven't released that yet. Cool. But in that episode, I talk about this exact topic and the finances behind it. And one of the things that kind of moved me away from my previous job was that I didn't have maternity leave and I had negotiated that in my like six year contract and they had agreed to it and then they took that back. Oh, so that was a big that's awful. Yeah, that was a big red flag. It was horrible. I was like, I can't keep working with somebody that won't, you know, share my like values or stay um like keep up with their word, you know? So with that, I was like, okay, this is still a great opportunity to re kind of recheck, like, you know, checks and balances, right? It's what we call it. And even though I loved family medicine, I knew I wanted to go back to work part-time was my first thing because I didn't want to, I didn't want to put myself through going back full-time right away in my mind, it was like, okay, at like three to four months, I am going to go back to work. But doing that full time right away for me was too much mentally and being away from my baby and everything. I'm just re really happy and grateful that we were able to manage that on one income uh, on my husband's side. And without having maternity leave, paid maternity leave, we had kind of done the math prior to that point. But when the opportunity came, I found this uh, primary care, urgent care job that was an opportunity part-time and I could kind of choose my schedule and I was happy with that. And then when I was ready to go full-time, my previous job, the maternal fetal medicine department, they reached out to me to see if I could come join them. But this was... Again, I always say like the right place at the right time um, because the, I was not an hour away from them and there was no way I would have a commute, you know, that long each way. And then especially with the winter weather here in Michigan, um, I talked to them about what are the options of doing this as telemedicine? Yeah. I'm not doing physical exams. I'm not, I don't need to be there with patients. And now with COVID, we have this huge you know, platform that is telemedicine and my job could totally be done that way. And it's better for me. It's better for the patients. We can all, you know, be happy. 
they were like, yeah, we can do that. Um, I mean, can you come like once a week, once a month? I was like, no, I can't go. Perfect. Um, ever. Way to set boundaries. <laughs> I would go. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like from the very beginning, you know, I'm like, no, I can't do that. Um, and they were like, okay, that's fine. We can do this. Can you work full time? I was like, no, I do have another job already. And so I can only do part time right now. Okay, well, that works. Um, we did some negotiation. And now I've been doing that job for about three, four months that I've been doing both. And I love it because I do work full time 40 hours, but I do two days, 12 hour shift at the clinic. So those days I'm away from baby. But then on the other two days, they're pretty short compared, right? They're only eight hours, sometimes end up being more, but I am home. And so my, what would be my pumping break? It's my nursing break. I get to see her. Um, you know, I don't have to commute anywhere. So I love that combination of telemedicine and being in clinic. And on top of that, it's two separate specialties, completely different. So it's a pretty cool combination and it like combines to my passion, right? For diabetes, which is how I even got started into um, the PA profession or why. And just to be back there doing my job as a dietitian, but now with a farther, like wider scope of practice, it's pretty cool. I'm really happy that it turned out that way. Yes. Thank you so much for sharing your story, Gabby. I think that it's such a cool story about how it came full circle for you. And for the listeners who have been listening to several episodes back on episode 83, when I was talking about three different types of freedom with financial freedom, location freedom, and time freedom, I did use Gabby's story because I had heard her talk about it on her podcast and on Instagram, where she was able to find this telemedicine role and create this job where she's combining several of her passions. And like she said, too, you're still able to work in clinic and in family med as well with some urgent care. So you're still keeping up to speed on that part of medicine. But it really sounds like you've been able to figure out a good balance for you and a good design for how you want to practice medicine, which I absolutely love. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know if right now this is working for me. And I like doing the two different specialties and the in person and the um, remote. But I don't know how that's going to change, you know, in the future, if I will actually take up on the opportunity to do this telemedicine job full time, or if I will continue to have both. I'm actually really curious to see I wish I had like a little crystal ball where you know I could see what's going to happen in a couple years and what am I going to be doing but for now it's working and I am definitely enjoying that aspect of the PA profession. For sure I am a huge advocate for telemedicine and currently work in outpatient psychiatry so we utilize it all the time and when this episode airs I'll actually have quit my current role working in psychiatry and have transitioned to a role that will be 100% telemedicine from home, which I'm really looking forward to for sure. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Gabby, for sharing all this information for the listeners today. Do you feel like that there are any other topics or pieces of advice that you'd have for the listeners? 
you know, I think that maybe they got it from all the conversation we've had, but when jobs say that you need experience, don't let that discourage you. Still apply. Like I still apply to those dialysis dietitian jobs, even though I knew I didn't meet the requirements. But that's also and that's exactly how I got my first job in as a dietitian. And then with that is everywhere you go, you know, treat that as a potential job interview. Um, keep up with the contacts and networking. Because you never know, you know, where that's going to take you. My supervising physician now, the head of the MFM department, used to be a resident back there. And that's how he knew of me. And he knew that I was a PA now. And I was exactly what he was looking for to join his team. He needed an advanced practice provider who had background, like a strong background in diabetes education, and that was able to do all the insulin management and type one pump management. And, you know, because we had already worked together, I think that it's part of why he was pretty comfortable with reaching out. And the um, the head of the MFN department there, when I was working before, he's not there anymore, but I still keep in touch with him. And, you know, that's in that situation but with my rotations for example in PA school I keep up with a few of my preceptors that's also how I got actually my two other jobs my family medicine job was a rotation that I had and then it turned into my job and this urgent care primary care is one of my preceptors that he opened up the clinic with a a couple other colleagues And I just kept checking in with him every few months. I'd be like, hey, how are you? And he would check in with me too. So when I was looking for a job, I texted, I texted two of my previous preceptor, one in interventional radiology. I was like, hey, because I had a, that was a pretty good rotation. I had pretty good feedback from him and from the team at the hospital. So I was like, hey, I am looking for a job. Any chance that you guys are looking for somebody or if you know of some, you know, of another team or something. And that one, unfortunately, didn't work out. He was like, no, right now we don't have any openings, but I will keep in mind for sure. And then this other one from Urgent Care, he was like, hmm, we might be able to accommodate something because, and then he told me all the story and I'm working with him. So definitely networking is a huge thing in this community and the more I talk to other PAs the more I see that like people in pretty cool fields like say dermatology you know that is also pretty hard to get into and a lot of them have gotten in there because of somebody they knew so that I think those two are my biggest thing and the last one would be to be smart about your finances and do all the math, but don't freak out because, you know, student loans, everybody has them. That's what you need to get to, you know, go to PA school. It's fine. It's what you do after and kind of um, being proactive about it, what's going to help you get out of them. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for all that career advice, Gabby. That was wonderful for the listeners to hear. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. This is a great conversation. I can't wait to 
um, for this episode to air and share it with uh, my audience too. Yeah, definitely. Can you share where the listeners can find you if they want to connect or reach out with questions and where they can find your podcast as well? Yeah, so I am on Instagram and TikTok at it's Gabby the PA and then Gmail, same it's Gabby the PA at gmail.com. And my podcast is on Apple and Spotify, The Making of a Physician Assistant. And I'm here for, you know, any questions you guys have, um, PA related, mom related, anything. Super cool. I'll make sure to include all those in the show notes. And thanks again, Gabby. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. And I hope that you decide to continue to join me along this journey of becoming a PA the FI way. Please take a moment to press the subscribe button on the platform that you are listening to this on, but more importantly, consider sharing with another current or future PA that could benefit from the information that we reviewed in this episode. Take care and have a great rest of your day. Until next time.